0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. An Old Testament reading coming from Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, after Moses had said to him, You have not delivered us at all. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Yemuel, Yamin, Ohad, Yachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years, the sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasephel. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans." These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? God, we thank you for your word. Let's begin with a quote that says this. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Think about that for a second. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. The quote comes from author Philip Yancey in his book Disappointment with God. And in the book, Yancey tackles three challenging questions to those who follow God and questions that they're rarely willing to ask out loud. And there are these three questions. Is God unfair? Is God hidden? And is God silent? And these are questions we often ask ourselves, particularly when it appears as if God is not working in a way consistent to his character or consistent to his word. I use the word appears that God's not working that way because, on purpose, because as Yancey's quote highlights, we are unable to see everything the way God sees everything. But we want answers. We want explanations. Prove yourself, explain yourself, God. Moses, at the beginning of Exodus 6, is caught in a crisis of faith. What is happening is not making sense. God gave him assurances that I will let these people go free. You go talk to Pharaoh. He will let them go. And what happens when Moses is obedient to go with his brother and with the elders of Israel to order Pharaoh to let the Hebrew slaves go free? What happens? Things go from bad to worse. The conditions of the slaves are worsened with higher demands, less supply, and harder beatings. And Moses asked the Lord a question out loud. Why did you do this? You call yourself a deliverer? You call this deliverance? In forward motion, none of this is making any sense. Apart from faith, apart from believing in advance, something that can only be understood in reverse. This is our plight as forward-moving human beings. For example, the couple who strongly desires to have children and physically can't. God's command to be fruitful and multiply feels sort of cruel to read. For the single person who wants to be married, but there's no prospects on the horizon. As they hear the passage, it's not good for man to be alone. They read it and they're like, no kidding, I don't want to be alone. For the person asking God to free them from a relentless addiction to crack or call of duty or booze, or betting, or porn, or people-pleasing. And every attempt they make to walk away from the chains of that addiction, it only seems to tighten them further. So as they hear the words of gospel promise, it is for freedom, Christ has set you free, those words feel so far out of reach. And for the cancer sufferer, maybe. Just when there appears to be a light at the end of their chemo tunnel, they discover that the light is actually that of a freight train toward them, marked with stage four. And the words, this light and momentary affliction feel heavy and eternal. You call this deliverance. Where are you asking that same question? For many of us, we keep these questions to ourselves. We think it maybe too risky to ask. What's at risk with a question like this? Could God smote us for questioning his judgment? Could God penalize us for our faithlessness? Or does Exodus 6 give us permission to ask the question, you call this deliverance, in order that God might be given authority to answer that question for us? We always have to remember when we look at a passage that there was an original audience and it's not us. Okay? When we read these words. And to the original audience to whom Exodus is written, where are they? It was written by Moses, and they're out of Egypt. (laughs) God's people have either arrived in the promised land or are close to arriving at the promised land. So they have an incredible vantage point in this story. They are on the other side of deliverance. They can read these words of Exodus 6 knowing it all makes sense in reverse, Chains are gone from them. Perfect Passover lamb protected them from the angel of death. Red Sea parted for them and they walked through. But we, friends, here in 2022, have the most advantageous vantage point with this verse in these verses. We can look back on this Exodus, but not the only one. There's another Exodus. This one written here happened 4,000 years ago, and we believe it to be true. And the one happened about 2,000 years ago involving a perfect Passover person named Jesus on a cross and a dead sea parted in two by a miracle called resurrection. In the middle of our disappointments, our sufferings, our questions of God seemingly being unfair or silent or hidden, we can look on this story of Exodus in Moses or this story of Exodus in Jesus, and believe in faith that whatever suffering, whatever slavery, whatever stuckness we find ourselves in, God is always active in bringing about deliverance. I'm going to sing the theme of Exodus 6 for us so that we can remember as we march through it today. Our eyes must see the glory of the always active Lord How does the Lord answer Moses' and our question in this passage of Exodus? Where does he want us to see his glory? First, the Lord is always active in saving, even when the future looks bleak. Second, the Lord is always active in saving, even when the rescue plan seems weak. And finally, the Lord is always active in saving for himself, a ragtag family of priests. First, the Lord is always active in saving, even when the future seems bleak. Look with me at verses 1 to 8. And we have to remember, again, something about where Moses is in this story. What has he seen? The only firsthand evidence Moses has of the Lord's ability to work saving wonders is a fiery foliage, a burning bush. It's impressive, but it's not necessarily a picture of salvation as it is a picture of holiness. Moses has his father's story of the Lord's work from Genesis of creation and flood, but in Genesis, there's nothing that looks like salvation. So his question that Moses is asking is fitting. I I don't know what deliverance looks like. You've got to show me. And who he's asking is also very appropriate. He's asking the only one who can deliver. And notice in verse one how the Lord responds to his question Now you'll see what I will do. You think the future looks bleak, Moses? Watch this. And scattered throughout the Lord's response is a phrase that serves like a signature of salvation. The phrase is, I am the Lord. If you remember what we discussed in chapter 3, this new name for the Lord means I is. <laughs> I am is. The present tense God, God who is present in your past, present, and future. I'm an always active God. And the Lord makes sure to note here that this is an addition to an understanding of God. This is a slow reveal. Because in verse 2, he says, you know what, this is fuller than what your ancestors understood me to be. They saw me as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And if we were using the Lord's Prayer as a guide, they saw me as our God who is in heaven. But I am the Lord is almost signature for the on-earth part of God as He is in heaven. Some of who God is had been hidden for a time, but now you will see a God of miraculous mercy and grace to his made-from-the-dust people who call out to him, I'm coming to earth, I am the Lord. And in verses 3 to 4, he describes remembering his covenant. I will remember my covenant I made, which doesn't mean God's forgetful. It just means that every promise that God made in Genesis to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be a promise kept in Exodus. Genesis promise, Exodus promise kept. And he lays out for Moses in verses 6 to 8, seven I wills of his plan of salvation. If you have a pen, it might be helpful just to underline all of the I wills. There's seven of them. But I wanted to highlight the verbs used in his future plan of salvation. First two are in verse six. They're about the Lord bringing freedom. I will bring you out from the heavy yoke, and I will free you from your slave status. I don't know if you've ever taken a hike, like on the Appalachian Trail or anywhere else, where you're wearing a pretty heavy pack on your back, and then you stop and you get to take it off. Oh, this is the lifting of the load that the Lord is promising. And then the third verb of I will in verse 6 is the promise that I will redeem you. That word redeem, we've talked before, has a cost attached to it. In order to pull a slave out from their status as property or as a debt holder, a transaction would have to take place. Who would pay for what's happening to these slaves? Pharaoh and Egypt are going to pay, and they're going to pay with mighty acts of judgment. And then the fourth and fifth verbs, after freedom and redemption come, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. What do you hear in that promise? Family language, right? I'm going to make you my kids. I'm going to be your papa. And the final two verbs in verse 8, I will bring you into the land I promised, and I will give it to you. What do you hear there? Inheritance and blessing. This, friends, is God's plan of salvation found in Exodus and also found in Christ. And it's bookended on each ends with the signature, I am the Lord. The future plan of saving from the present tense God. Our eyes must see the glory of this always active Lord. Who is saving even when the future seems bleak. Friends, where are you weary right now and walking under a heavy load? Where does your future maybe look so bleak that you just want to pull down the shades? Maybe it's a relationship that seems irreparable, maybe it's an illness that's only getting worse. Maybe it's an ever-darkening world. The Lord wants you, like Moses, to hear his promise that was kept to Moses and kept in Jesus and kept for you. Rescue has come. Price has been paid. Child of God, you have been made. And land of promise has been paved. Even though it may not be fully revealed to you, remember, I am the Lord. This is too much for me, you might say. I am the Lord, he says. I can't keep going on like this. I am the Lord, he says. I don't see an end to this, you say. I am the Lord, he says. Maybe this week, allow that signature of God's promise of salvation be what you say back to your doubts, your regrets, your big-time questions. Even as I was writing this sermon, I was stretched for time and devoid of some energy. I tried it. Like, I don't think I can do this. I am the Lord. I don't have much time. I am the Lord. And while it didn't make everything change in an instant, it did bring an assurance and an energy to my heart to just keep going. I am the Lord. The Lord is always active in saving, even when the future seems bleak, and secondly, even when the rescue plan seems weak. You see this in verses 9 to 13 and 28 and 29. So hearing, I am the Lord, that promise, Moses then goes to preach that first point of the passage to the Israelites. What happens? Instead of hearing back to him shouts of, Amen! Preach it, brother! (laughs) Moses' sermon falls on completely deaf ears. One commentator writes, All of God's I wills are met with Israel's we won't. And what's happening is Israel's present circumstances are what they're putting their faith in instead of the present I am God. And Moses concludes that he's just preached a bad sermon. So what's his conclusion? He believes... (laughs) Moses actually believes that God's salvation promises can be hindered by his speech impediment. But the Lord is insistent, no, go, go to Pharaoh, faltering tongue and all. When, When you preach every once in a while as a pastor or as an intern or student, you preach like once every three months, you know what, you can put your best foot forward, right? You have lots of time to think and prepare, come up with powerful illustrations, pack a punch. But when you preach week in and week out, the limits of time and energy are much more obvious. I feel gospel weakness many weeks. And I remember one particular Sunday sitting down In the congregation, after a sermon that I pretty much fumbled my way through. And I was feeling kind of the shame of my lack of, I I could have prepared better. My ideas were so disorganized. I had even moments I was preaching where I went blank and didn't even know what I was saying. My weakness as a preacher, my faltering tongue was so obvious. Surely God couldn't use the faltering tongue. And that Sunday, I was approached by a member of this congregation who asked would you please preach that message at my funeral? (laughs) And I just smiled in the assurance that God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and that's exactly what he's doing here with Moses and with Jesus. Moses' limitations of speech, Jesus' limitation being an all-powerful God being limited to a human body would shame Pharaoh and would shame the Pharisees. Saints, we look at Moses and we have to look at him like us, that he took himself and his abilities way too seriously. (laughs) I want to ask a question. When was the last time you just laughed at yourself or smiled at a limitation that you have? Not in a mocking way, but in a gloriously relieving way. There I go again, thinking that it's up to me. It's never up to me, and it never will be. Where are your limitations an opportunity to become the exaltation of God. Laugh at yourself. Please laugh at yourself. And say, like Psalm 15 says, not to us, but to your name be the glory. The cross of Jesus Christ was not on anyone else's radar, but Jesus' when he was on earth. And the rescue plan was a rescue plan that came through Weakness. The shame of our sin, the world, and the devil would come through the one and on the one who was made low. Let all the demotions of yourself and your weakness, friends, promote you to a place to preach a gospel of glorious, I am the Lord redemption. It's not up to me. It's not about me. It's up to you. The Lord is always active in saving when the future seems bleak, when the rescue plan seems weak, and finally the Lord is active in saving for himself a ragtag family of priests. Verses 14 to 27. It's this strange disruption of the narrative. Do you notice it as you turn the page? Out of nowhere in this text, as Moses and Aaron are called back to Pharaoh's court to confront him once again, we run into the trunk of a family tree. What is this doing here? All these unrecognizable and hard-to-pronounce names that no one would choose to put on a modern-day birth certificate. We like biblical names like Matthew, Benjamin, Miriam. But how many Mollys, Zohars, and Mushies have you seen running around the church nursery? Friends, see in this genealogy such a picture of the tender, intimate, personal, always active mercy of God. That he knows each one of us by name. This genealogy, this family tree is written with the first three boys of Israel's family. And then it stops to zoom in on Levi. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Levi was the priest. Levi was the one who wasn't given land but rather was the one who was dedicated to the Lord's service and work as a priest. Priests were the ones who interceded for the people who worked in the temple, and the tabernacle. They were called to serve and set up the chairs every Sunday morning, do the sound every Sunday morning, preach every Sunday morning, and they got no land. That's what these priests were there for. I just want to highlight a couple of things from this genealogy that maybe initially not easy to see or recognize, but I want you to look at the time measurements that are in this genealogy. You see them? Levi, the starting point, lived 137 years. His son, Kohath, lived 133 years. And his grandson, Amram, which was Moses and Aaron's father, lived 137 years. What does that add up to? Math people? Just over 400 years. An always active God has been working to bring about deliverance even during these 400 years of enslavement and hardship. God is not slow in keeping his promises. He's actively at work over those 400 years in raising up this Moses and this Aaron. If I told you that the gospel work of transformation that's supposed to happen at All Saints Church is not going to see its full fruit until 2,422, would you keep on? If it's not going to be for 400 years that we're going to see God do anything, would you keep on? Maybe if you saw your name on this family tree, it might change your perspective. All of these names, all of these priests are important in furthering the work of God's redemption in the world. And some of the names are glorious names, like testifying to God's faithfulness, like Shaul, which means God answers prayer. I would love to hear that story of why they named him that. Yochabed, meaning God's glory. I would love to know why they named him that. And Eleazar, meaning God helps I would love to know why they named him that. But there's also names just testifying to the ordinariness of us. Nefeg means klutz. Korah means baldy. And Nadab means, like, liberal. Maybe he's a leftist. Uh Uh-oh. Liberal. But God uses ordinary people whose name he knows to highlight his faithfulness to deliver. This priestly family tree is the proof, positive. This priestly line would be responsible for interceding for the people by giving the people Moses and Aaron. There's even a hint in the family tree of Christ. As two women, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashan, give promise to the line of the king, King David and King Jesus would have Aminadab and Nashon as part of their family tree. Jesus is coming to deliver God's people from enemy lines. And friends, we see on this side of the exodus that Christ has offered a final sacrifice for sin as we are called in 1 Peter 2, this, a holy priesthood of people. We are called Levites, saints who have been delivered in faith by the work of the great high priest Jesus. We are named in God's family tree. In the beginning of Genesis, throughout the Old Testament, the Lord has been always active in bringing about a true exodus where Christ would deliver his people from the Pharaoh grip of sin and death, freeing his ragtag loved ones, baldy, klutzy ones, adopting them as his own, and promising them a kingdom that will never end. The Lord is actively working to remember his covenant through what you see right here this morning. Families of faith. His always active deliverance story was given to Moses and to Jesus and to us to intercede for the people around us, neighbors, friends, families around us by offering sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice with blood from bulls. What's the sacrifice we're called to? Sacrifice of ourselves. Taking up a cross like our high priest following Jesus and becoming weak so that God's glory and strength might be displayed in us. Saints, you are priests. Every one of you, Romans 12.1 says, hold your priestly call like Moses to offer your life as a living sacrifice, as weak as you are, which is pleasing to the Lord. Our eyes will see the glory of the always active Lord. I want to close why it was that I set this week's proposition to song. You know That tune? It's from a famous song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. The song has evolved over three generations of lyrics, but each version with a promise of deliverance. The first lyrics were intended to bring about the freedom of a people. The first title of that song was, Oh Brothers Will You Meet Us On Canaan's Happy Shore. It was a camp meeting invitation song to trust in the deliverance of Jesus. But the second version of the hymn was more sober in tone. It was called John Brown's Body. Kind of a morbid title, right? But the lyrics were dedicated to continuing the legacy of John Brown, who saw it his life's end, or life's aim, to put an end to slavery in the United States. It began when he was 12 years old as he watched a black man being beaten close to death with the back of a shovel. As John was sentenced to death for his raid on a slave town, his hope of deliverance for slaves continued in the song. John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Hmm. And then, as the Civil War was going into full-fledged, the wife of a government union official was charged with writing the lyrics to be the battle cry for the armies of the north as they fought to put an end to slavery for an oppressed people. The battle hymn of the Republic was written for $5. And friends, it's our hymn, Church of Priests. It's our charge that we see the glory of the always active Lord in delivering us with his I am the Lord's salvation message. We ask God's Spirit to give us the ability, like Moses, to use these weak, ragtag family of priests for the rest of the world to see and know and sing the salvation of Jesus. He's not hidden. He's not unfair. He's not silent. He's working as much now in the church through these priests as he ever has before. In the beauty of the lilies... Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Pray with me. Father in heaven, that's our song, to march on with the truth of an exodus the truth of deliverance from slavery. There are people all around us who are enslaved, who are wearing chains of sin and death, and you have charged us to lay down our lives and proclaim the truth of an exodus that we have been set free and so too can they. We pray, Father, that you would help us go from this place singing our battle hymn of the kingdom, that our eyes have seen the glory of an always active Lord. Continue your work through us, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.